Hey guys, good morning. Uh, glad that you are uh, up and at them with us. And a uh, big shout out and thanks to the folks at Texadelphia, Tom Landis, who was uh, exceedingly generous in uh, just saying, hey, I want to do this. This is uh, my heart has been encouraged and grown here. And I want to bless the guys by being a part of uh, this kickoff this morning. And so go get your cheesesteak at Texadelphia and thank Tom for his commitment to you and what we're about here together as men. I've got a new favorite show right now. It's on the Discovery Channel. Some of you may be watching it or you may not know about it, but I'm going to get you to reset your TiVos and catch some back ones. It's called Surviving the Cut. Uh, Surviving the Cut is taking uh, kind of a a video documentary through a number of different uh, special forces training programs. And so you've got the Air Force uh, paratroopers, you've got Marine Recons, you've got Army Rangers, uh, and what they do is they take the entire training period for each one of those special forces and they compress them into one one-hour episode and show the number of guys that wash out or the number of guys that disqualify themselves because they're not uh, mentally or physically ready for what it takes to become a Ranger, a paratrooper, a recon, uh, Marine, and it collapses the whole 90 days or whatever the particular period of time is that the the basic training for that program goes through and just shows you the intensity and the seriousness with which they take the training. And it really makes you appreciate the men that are leading us and the kind of things that they're going through because if you can imagine just watching a thing for an hour as they walk through the different days and the different tasks and the different challenges and the different uh, demands that are put on them, uh, what that would feel like if you lived it for 90 days. Uh, a number of years ago, Discovery Channel did another show called Bud's Class 254, where they took you through what is basically uh, in-dock training for Navy SEALs, where, and they indoctrinate them to what it takes. And in-dock is really three weeks long. It's, they, they, they refer to it within uh, the SEAL community as two weeks and a long day. Because the first two weeks are just that. They are uh, comprised of two seven-day periods. And then the last week is one long day. It starts Sunday night and it ends uh, Thursday where there is sleep deprivation. Uh, there is constant um, drilling, constant uh, exposure to the elements. And they are at it for four solid days. And uh, they call it hell week. It's really hell day, but two weeks and a long day. I can remember watching that. Um, and, and realizing after that that I was not the man that I thought I was. I literally um, said, you know, out of respect for men, I need to sit down every time I pee for the next 30 days because I am not a man. I thought I was. Then I watched that, and I do not have the right to stand up when I urinate. <laughs> and and uh, I really do. I marvel at that kind of discipline, that kind of commitment, And all of us want to be uh, a paratrooper. We want to be a recon marine. We want to be a ranger. We want to be a SEAL because we see greatness and excellence there. But very few of us want to go through the 90 days of marine recon uh, indoctrination or two weeks and a long day with SEALs or all that the rangers go through and so on and so on. We want the stripes. We want the notoriety. We want the skill. We want the abilities But we don't want to do what it takes to get us there. And frankly, that sums up not just what's going on at Surviving the Cut. It sums up the life of a Christ follower. Uh, I don't have the chance now to go back and see if I've got the medal to do what those men did. Or even to serve in the way that those men, uh, at, at the time that they were stirred to go do that, do. But one of the things that I love about being a Christ follower is it awakens everything in me that uh, God has put in me, that makes me a man, that makes me a warrior. Uh, I no longer get to compete athletically. But one of the things I love about being a Christ follower is that there is no arena of competition or battle that has ever challenged me the way being a Christ follower challenges me. The scriptures use the metaphor of an athlete to remind us of what God expects us to do so that we can be great in, frankly, the only competition and athletic endeavor, the only Olympiad that really matters, the only eternal one, the only war that really matters. He is looking for a few good men. And the reality is very few of us survive the cut. In fact, very few of us truly ever enlist. We kind of float through life Um, getting dressed up in camo 
and playing army. But we don't ever really say, I'm going to get myself in a boot camp. I'm going to get myself under a drill sergeant. I'm going to get myself under discipline. I'm going to get myself under command. And I am going to forsake everything that is normal to me so that I can be a soldier. This is what 2 Timothy says. In 2 Timothy it says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life in order that he might please the one that enlisted him as a soldier. And guys, what I want to tell you is that you watch the number of men that gladly get up and have some tacos uh, with nacho cheese with us at 5.30 in the morning to get here, uh, you know, to drive to come and have that stuff, one Sunday, one uh, Thursday, excuse me, in September. But watch how many men wash out between now and shortly after Thanksgiving. Very few guys will stay disciplined. There'll be other guys that show up, but they're not doing the things they need to do to maximize the return that uh, you should get out of the next 10 weeks that we're going to get together. Marine recon training is 12 weeks. I think we're going to spend 10. Uh, about a 50% washout rate happens with the Marie, uh, recon Marines. And you look around with me the week before Thanksgiving, and you see if as many guys are here finishing the race with notebooks that are full, with hearts that have been instructed, with minds that have been disciplined to memorize, and are ready to continue on. It won't be this many. There will be a significant washout. Right? Not many guys will survive the cut. And I want to tell you, one of the things that I want to do here is I want to be a warrior. I want to buffet my body in order that I might not disqualify myself, but that I might compete in such a way that I win the prize. And not some fleeting gold medal, but an imperishable wreath, an imperishable reward that the only stage that matters will approve of. See, that's what we're really here to do as guys. We're here to call ourselves to greatness. And you're stepping up and you have the opportunity to be around some men that have gone before you, that are uh, learning to live successfully behind enemy lines, that are jumping out of planes at a high altitude and doing a low deployment of their chute in order to enter in where they can rescue people that are dying. And as much as I long to be a warrior in the way that that Discovery Show is talking about, I long to be a warrior for Christ. And I want to tell you, we have an opportunity to spur each other on more fully to that direction. Uh, The world is full of men who play army. It is not full of men who are warriors. The church is filled with men who love camo outfits and to tell stories and to hear things that happen. But there are not many churches filled with special men. Not many men survive the cut. Not many communities of men drive you to greatness. Uh, a buddy of mine was uh, recently with a, a large graduate program that is um, focused on developing leaders for spiritual communities. And we were just giving them some feedback as to why we did not feel like they were producing that which they efforted to produce. Why when we looked to bring men uh, into our leadership circles, we didn't necessarily default to this particular um, you know, institution of higher learning and training. And so we were giving them some feedback, and we were talking about uh, the, the kinds of things that make men ultimately successful on the battlefield. And if you want to send them off to you know, war college, you know, they need to come out battle ready. And we were just sharing with them why, why we had not seen that consistently, why that, in fact, school isn't always even attracting the right men to go there, but, but that it wasn't even necessarily producing the right men as they came out. And, and he, he talked to them very wisely and humbly about leadership. He was with five other leaders, five other pastors of very significant and large churches in the Metroplex as he talked to these men that were charged with this particular opportunity. And one of the gentlemen uh, that are part of the faculty of this place just said, hey, let me ask you a question. You, you talk a lot about this leadership development. Can you tell me a single place that is, uh, developing leaders the way that you talk about. You tell us you want us to do this. And I was in charge here of trying to partner with churches to get uh, them to participate with us, to grow men's hearts, to make them these warriors, to make them the folks that, that you're, you're describing that you need. Can you tell me any church is doing that? And, and, and it, my friend was quiet for a second and looked around. And one of the other pastors said, no, I can't tell you. 
You know, I try and do it some myself, but I can't tell you a single place that men, that, that churches are really focused in raising up leaders in that way. And I just sat there, I looked at my friend, I go, okay, man, I'm, I'm waiting for it. Tell me what you did. I'm waiting for it. Tell me what you did. And he said, well, I'll tell you what I did. I looked around and I said, you know, anybody else? And again, five churches that you would recognize if I told you their names, their leaders, sat there quietly. And then my friend said, okay, well, guys, I'll answer that question and I want to do it with every bit of humility that I can. Watermark is producing leaders. Watermark is raising up warriors. Watermark is making disciples. Watermark is calling men to survive the cut. I think we are. You see, because leadership development is really discipleship. It's calling you to follow the greatest warrior who ever lived, who went to war in a way that, frankly, the world still can't understand. We're going to look at that again today. And he's calling you to go to war the way that he did. Because one day there's a war coming that if they don't respond the way that he went to war the first time, they are going to melt in his presence. Mark my word. Jesus is ready to go to war against sin. But he is not just a God of justice. Make no mistake. He is absolutely a God of justice. But because he knows how severe and significant and eternal his justice is, he comes first in love to say, make peace with me before you go to meet that magistrate. When you don't have as much as that general has, you better make peace with him before that general comes. And Jesus was referring to himself, I am the ultimate judge, and you are in conflict with my law. I am the coming warrior king, and you don't have what it takes to stand against me. And so in my kindness and grace, I'm going to allow you to reconcile yourself with me. You see, but once Jesus made provision for that reconciliation to happen through his own sacrifice and his own shed blood, he then says, before I ultimately bring final execution of my judgment, I'm going to raise up some other warriors to give themselves away, the way I and my love, because I will bring justice, brought them into peace with me. And I want to tell you something, that takes some real men. That's what we're going to look at this morning. This world needs men. As we get ready to dive in, I'm going to walk you through Luke chapter 9. And I'm going to tell you, if you think the marine recons and the, the paratroopers and the rangers and the seals demand greatness, look at what Jesus calls you to. Because the calls to discipleship are exacting and radical. And we're going to look at them this morning. And I'm going to invite you in. But I'm going to tell you, sadly, there's going to be a lot of you that will wash out. And it won't be that you don't become a recon marine. It means that you will not become the man that God intends you to be and will hold you into account. Because if you wash out of this program, you will answer to him. And I'm not talking about 10 weeks of summit. I'm talking about a life of being a leader. Make no mistake, we don't dress up and play army here. That's what boys do. Men go to war and take seriously the war that they're in. And if this church... If we as a community of Christ followers are going to be what God intends us to be, we've got to go to war. We have to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We've got to make sure that we focus on things that are eternal and not fleeting. There has got to be attention to things that are around us, but there's got to be focus on that which is of Christ. That's what this is about. I want to start, I often like to use a song to kind of set up the uh, the, the time of our meditation and consideration here as we get ready to launch into a season of discipline um, and partnering with other men in little platoons that spur you on to greatness. And make no mistake, the quality of your drill sergeant and the excellence of the esprit de corps in your little small summit group is what will produce a quality man. In other words, if you get in a little platoon with a bunch of weak men who compromise themselves through, who don't care if you didn't do the work throughout the week, who let you slop yourself through a memory verse, then you will finish, but you will be a sloppy follower of Christ. The companion of fools will suffer harm, and the companion of weak men will be a weak man. The companion of undisciplined man will be an undisciplined man. And so I talk to the leaders, but I'm talking to you to step up and lead that platoon of men and let them know that this is not about surviving the 10 weeks and just showing up. This is about doing everything you can when you're done to have received the maximum benefit of this opportunity. I, I, I offer you this and I ask of you nothing less 
than full focus. The song I want to play for you is one that's uh, getting some airtime right now. It's called uh, Lead Me. And it's a song that talks about why we must do that. We are men. And men have a specific and high calling in God's economy. Women have a specific and high calling in God's economy. But women need men to be men as much as men need women to be women. They need you to lead them, to love them, not because it's easy, not because you feel like it, not because she looks beautiful to you, not because it's uh, spring break and she's attractive and you think you can get some fleeting pleasure by enjoying her for a moment, but committing yourself to her, dedicating yourself to her, loving her and bestowing upon her the full attention and glory she deserves as a child of God, a daughter of the King. As a man that maybe isn't married, but one day will be, to learn to discipline yourself so that you can love that way. Children that God gives underneath you, there is nothing that can place a father. Nothing. And they need you to lead them. And the only way you will be able to lead them, this church, and a world that is desperate to be brought out of darkness into light, is if you learn the ways of your king. And you ask him to lead you. What these next 10 weeks is of, are about is learning the ways of Christ and letting him lead you. Watch this little video with me that just kind of walks you through this song. And I pray you listen carefully to the words even as you read the reminders that are laced through this little video. Watch this.
walk you through Luke chapter 9. And Luke chapter 9 ends with basically what I would call uh, an address to young men or men in general that are considering entering into being uh, part of the special forces. Great men for Christ. Uh, now the passage that we're going to focus on at the very end in Luke chapter 9 it shows up in another place in Scripture, by and large, at least you know, 66% of it does, in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8 is surrounded by miracles. Luke 9 is surrounded by rejection. And what I would tell you is the call to greatness uh, is an exacting call. But what you need to be sure of are two things in order to respond to this exacting call. You need to be sure of the power of God and the certainty of rejection. Because you're going to experience rejection. You're not going to live the life that others live when you decide not just to play army, but to go to war. And so what I want to do is just walk you through Luke 9 and, uh, and help you understand uh, a little bit of the context right here. I mean, just to, just to wrap up what I was saying, there's a guy named C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd is a, a, um, a kind of a hero of mine because, uh, A, he's got the best name of anybody I've ever heard of. <laughs> And secondly, because he really was a guy that was at the height of everything that what so many of us want to be, with the pinnacle of his athletic career, worldly acclaim, and certain ease and prosperity in England. He was uh, the most renowned cricket player, basically, of his age. And he walked away from that in order to go serve Christ because of the radical nature of his understanding of the value, not of being a part of a team that others thought was great, but being a part of the only team that God said was great. And such was his conviction that he couldn't get to that uh, outside of his life as a cricket player. He got to it as a matter of devotion and focus. C.T. Studd said this at one point, he said, don't concern yourself with how great the task or how great the ask. You just need to realize how great the teacher and when you realize how great the teacher, the immensity of the task, and the radical nature of the ask will not in any way offend you. It will make sense. C.T. Studd is a set, one who said this, if it is true that Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice is too great. And you see, too many of us don't have a true understanding of the gospel, of the fact that Christ is God. That God is holy and just, and that he is offended by anything less than perfection. And he will radically and completely and forever and eternally separate that imperfection from himself. But because he's also holy in his love, he pursues you and makes provision for you. He humbles himself, and being found in appearance of a man, and being made in the likeness of a man, he went to war for you. He suffered humiliation for you. He went through much, much more than indoctrination. He went through incarnation. That he might give his life in such a way that you could be reconciled to God. And C.T. Studd said, if that story is true, then I will never be able to respond to that radically enough. And the reason most of us don't respond with discipline and attentiveness and study is we have never really understood the story. We have got a malaise understanding. We have a comfortable positioning of these facts. That God is holy and is there and we are accountable to him and we have offended him. And oh yeah, I guess, all right, I'm okay with this idea that this nice guy came and he died and he went to a cross and man, that's wonderful. And yeah, I'm good with that. I'm not a Muslim. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm not an atheist. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm not agnostic. I really believe it. But do you really believe it? Well, Jesus is going to say, if you're a stud, this is the way you respond. In Luke chapter 9, he just starts with this. I'm going to put up some major breakouts and sections. We're not going to read it because of time, but I want to lay it out for you. Luke chapter 9, 1 through 9, there is just the call and the enablement of the 12 specifically to go and minister for him. They kind of come back, and then in verses 10 through 17, he takes them away to a lonely place. And, uh, and the crowds are there, and that's when you come across this story about the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus drives home a point to them, is that, look, I just gave you everything that you need to be successful for me, but what you need to understand is ultimately what you need to be successful for me is relationship with me. 
You can't do what I have called you to do without me. That's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Very quickly, what Jesus did when he told those guys, you see that multitude? And for a second, we'll take that down and you can come on back. What he, what he said is, is that, look, you feed that multitude of people. And they go, we can't feed them. Do you know how much money it would take to feed them? And Jesus said, look, when I ask you to do something, don't be overwhelmed with the task. Understand the greatness of the teacher. One of the greatest assurances that you have that you can accomplish something is that I've asked you to do it. I'm not going to call you to something that I will not give you the means and the provision to accomplish. And so he said, what do you have? You bring me whatever you've got. He says, well, we don't have very much, but, you know, Andrew beat up some kid, took his lunch. So we got five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them to me. And so what Christ taught them is said, look, he took it, he thanked it, he acknowledged the greatness of the Father, and then he said, tell them to sit in groups of fifties and hundreds, and he spread them out. And so then from that moment on, he said, come and get from me what you need for them. And he taught these disciples, look, the command to go, and you've already been out, and I've given you the authority to go for me, but you need to realize when you go for me, you don't just salute and forget me. Different from a Marine taking an order from his commandant is you live in relationship with me, because I'm not just a commandant out there in command central. I will walk with you. I will go with you. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus left, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but the Father will send you the Spirit, who is the helper, who is the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Father, it is me. He is me, and I will go with you. But you need to yield to that Spirit. This will never be your devotion. It will be your understanding that leads to brokenness and yieldedness. So when you feel rage, don't listen to rage. When you feel a desire for ease and comfort, don't listen to your desire. Listen to my Spirit that enables you and calls you and reminds you and empowers you. And so it's got nothing to do with how you feel, soldier. It's got everything to do with who you serve. What you need for them, you get from me. Now, how many times do you think 12 men had to carry a basket full of food to different groups of 50 and 100 to feed them, and then they look down, their basket is empty, and so what do you do when your basket is empty? And you see still hundreds and thousands of more people that need food. You go back. And what Jesus was teaching those disciples in that little moment there in Luke chapter 9, 10 through 17 is this. You can't do what I've called you to do without me. What you need for them, you get from me. Folks, you want to lead your wife? You want to lead your children? You want to lead your neighbors? You want to lead people out of darkness into light? What you need for them, you get from him. How attentive have you been to going and eating the bread of life? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. How, how, how often are you going right now and going to war by using Scripture? Jesus says, every time that he was confronted, he goes back to Scripture to respond against the temptation of the world. How equipped are you to do that? You see, it's not just having a comfortable understanding or some vague familiarity with. It is like a Marine can take apart his gun and put it back together in the dark in a matter of seconds. It is what you need to learn to do with the sword of the Spirit so that it is available to you through recall, through meditation, through memory. You are familiar with it. Have you got to know your arms that way? If not, it is no wonder that you find yourself often in times of crisis with it knocked out of your hand or your gun is jammed and you don't know what to do and you are dead. What you need to lead, you get from me, Jesus says. In Luke 9, 18-20, he says, look, snap out of it. Who do you say that I am? You need to know who I am. You're going to be asked to do a great task and you will not do this great task if you are not certain who I am. And then once they correctly answer that question, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he then says, well, guess what? You're right, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go give myself up. I'm going to die. In Luke 9, 21 through 22, he says, I'm going to give my life away. Now, that doesn't quite fit the category. You are God, and I'm going to go give myself away. They thought God was going to show up and open up a six-pack. And he said, well, that's going to come. But I'm going to pour out my life first. And he says, if you want to follow me in verses 23 through 27, you've got to learn to give your life away too. 
in verses 28 through 36, he shows up and he says, I just want you to know that you are giving your life away to follow the right one. That's where Jesus uh, tells uh, the story there of uh, the fact that uh, he didn't tell the story. He takes those guys up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he reveals his glory. Because again, if you're going to be called to this great task, you better know who your teacher is. And Jesus was no mere man, but he reveals himself to Peter, James, and John. And he says, let me just show you who I am. The prophets and the law all point to me. Moses and Elijah serve me. I am very God of very God. And so he says, you are giving your life away to follow the right one. I'm not just some madman full of enthusiasm and passion. I am God. In Luke 9, 37 through 42, when he comes down off that mountain, you've got the healing of the demoniac. And we have these same disciples that a little bit earlier were given authority in chapter 9, 1 through 12, that were unable to deliver that demon-possessed boy because they had been doing it, if you will, through formula and not through dependence and relationship on Christ. And so what he basically said to them is, look, I want to remind you again, you can't do what I'm calling you to do without me. Just because you've been commanded, just because you've been called, just because you've been able, you need to do it in relationship with me. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? I know I gave you that privilege, but your, your, your desire to do this, he rebukes them, he says, your lack of faith is the reason you can't do this. In other words, you don't go do this because you've had success before, but moment by moment you must in dependence upon me, and by faith in me, that's the way you're going to execute the leadership that you want and Luke 9 43 through 45 he says I'm telling you again I am going to give my life away now let's just read this little section because these guys did not get it what do you mean you're our great warrior what do you mean you're going to die in Luke 9 43 through 45 he says and they were all amazed at the greatness of God because of what he was doing but while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing he said to his disciples come here I want to tell you something let these words sink into your ears for the son of man is going to be delivered to the hands of men but they did not understand the statement it was concealed from them so they would not perceive it and they were afraid to ask about the statement what it says here is that basically is that they began even to argue about themselves who's going to be great. Well, if he's leaving, somebody else has got to be this great warrior. And they completely missed what he was telling them. They couldn't even perceive how God could give himself away. Just like many of us think if we're going to be great, we're going to be great because we're impressive and rich and we've got our act together and not because we're great servants. But Jesus comes right back and he drives home this message again in Luke chapter 9. Verses 46 and following, he says this, I'm telling you again, if you're going to follow me, you need to do what I'm doing, which is to give your life away. Do you see a consistent message coming up here? Now in Luke chapter 9, verses 49 through 56, he comes back and he says this, I want you to be very careful how you respond to rejection, because when you start to give your life away, it's going to tempt you to respond in a way that is not appropriate to respond just yet. Jesus is revealing who he is. He's revealing how he's going to accomplish his full purpose. And he's telling men, you better get ready to go to war, because if you think it's hard to go to war against an enemy that you have the right to kill, it's really hard to go to war to give your life away in a way that's going to be death to self so that they, the enemy, might live. And he said, you're going to get some rejection, and you better be ready for it. Watch this. In Luke 9, 51 through 56, this is the section of scripture uh, I want to read to you now, and then we'll focus on where the call is going. He says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent his messengers on ahead of him. And they went and they entered a village of the Samaritans to make uh, arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> But he turned and he rebuked them, and he said, You don't know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so they went on to another village. What Jesus is saying right here is, Guys, you're not getting it. Judgment will come, but it's not time for judgment to come yet. And when you meet rejection, don't meet rejection by looking to destroy your enemy. You meet that rejection by humbling yourself and loving them 
and being patient with them and you give yourself away to them in such a way that you live in a manner that makes them go, you must know something I don't know. Jesus makes it very clear. There's going to be a time that I'm going to bring the fire down myself. You let me bring that. But right now, I am here to reconcile men to myself. And I'm calling you to the same radical thing. Now, let me just tell you something. That is crazy. Unless everything that I've said up to this moment is true. And that is that he knew he was God, and he knew that judgment was coming, and he knew that judgment was severe and eternal. And because his justice isn't the only thing that's holy, but his love is holy, he wanted to give men a chance who had rejected him to respond to his grace, that they might be reconciled to him. And so he said, boys, I'm giving my life away. So that before I destroy all my enemies, I might destroy my enemies by making them my friends. See, Abraham Lincoln, when he was president, was often criticized for the kindness that he showed his enemies. And he was the one who had learned the ways of Christ who said, when I make my enemies my friends, do I not destroy my enemies? And that's exactly what Jesus is in the business of doing right here. He's destroying his enemies by offering them love. But make no mistake, there's going to be a day when those enemies rebuff his love, that his holy justice will be just as clear as his holy love was on that cross. We are in a season that the scripture makes very clear that God is extending his grace. And the reason that that fire has not come down from heaven and the earth has not been consumed, not this time by a flood of water, but by a flood of fire, is because he is patient towards all men, wishing that none would come, uh, would, none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And if you think it's difficult to consume enemies in war, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is it's really difficult to respond to enemies in love. And so with that as the premise, Jesus says, are you ready? So somebody comes up and says, hey, I'm ready to follow you. In Luke 9, 57 through 62, this little section I would title, careful, not how you respond to now rejection, but careful how you respond to distractions. Because this business that I'm about, it says in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. In other words, nothing was going to keep him from that cross. Because he knew it was the means through which men might escape the coming wrath of God. And he fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. And nothing, no ease, no comfort, no promise of a temporary crown was going to get in his way. And so he was telling his men, are you ready to go to war with me? You be careful how you respond to distractions. Don't be overwhelmed with the greatness of the task. You need to understand how great the teacher. With that as the basis, look what it says in Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I want to be a Marine. I want to be a sea. I'll do whatever it takes. And he says, let me just tell you something, bro. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, this is not a life of ease. If you think health, wealth, and prosperity will follow you if you come to me, turn off TBN and tune into Scripture. Because that is not the way of a warrior. I'm not promising you that everywhere you go that you're going to be celebrated. No, folks are going to hate you for my name's sake. Some folks are going to call you baby killers. Some folks are going to call you, I don't know what they're going to call you. They're going to call you ugly names. And they're going to reject your message and the thing that you're going to war for. This world will not be your home. It's not my home. I am an alien and a stranger in the land. And I am calling you to be an alien and a stranger in a land because you're at war against sin. And the way you go to war against sin is going to be an offense to those that you're at war against. And they're going to think that you're crazy and they're going to think that you're there to destroy the culture that they embrace and love and live for. And you're never going to have what everybody else has who just adopts the ways of that land that needs to be ultimately reconciled to me. And so are you sure you went in on this? You see, I want to just tell you guys, if you're not experiencing a, a, a sense of this isn't my home, man. I mean, you should be at home when you're around other warriors. That's why we gather together to remind ourselves that we're not crazy. To study words like this and go, we believe this is true. Let's respond to it. But when you get out there 
in the trenches, it's going to feel like, man, I got nowhere to lay my head. I don't have a home. Because this is a call to go and live as an alien in a foreign land. Are you experiencing that? If not, I want to tell you something. You're not following him. Look at the second thing. Jesus now says to somebody else, hey, you follow me. And the person responded, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said, you allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God everywhere. And that's a pretty offensive response. There's a couple of ways to take this. Number one, uh, what Jesus is saying, some people have believed, is that uh, this guy is saying to him, look, I'll come follow you, but look, the old man would think it's a little bit radical for me to leave the family business and to go and join you at this particular time. I, I think you're right, but I've got to honor the old man. Let the old man die so I don't offend daddy. And then I'll bury him and then I'll come. And frankly, I'll get the inheritance. I can sell the business. I'll have some cash to fall back on in case this me and Jesus thing doesn't really work out. Let me become successful and then I'll worry about becoming significant. Would be one way to say it. And so people that understand this text that way, the gentleman that Jesus talks to responds by saying, look, I'll come as soon as my dad is dead. But most folks believe that no, the guy really did have the urgent necessity of burying his father. Which, in that culture, even as in ours, all other things are really put on hold. And everybody understands when a father dies, you don't go to work. When a father dies, you don't even have, uh, if you have certain ministry responsibilities, you don't go do those. Because you tend to your family, you bury your father, you honor him, and then you can get back to your normal course of life. And Jesus, in a rhetorical way, because dead people can't bury dead people. What he's doing here is telling those guys, look... The ways of propriety in this world is not the ways of propriety in God's kingdom. Something new is here. It's really what Jesus says a little bit later in Luke chapter 14, where he says, if you don't hate your mother and father for my sake, then you don't know who I am. The word hate there is a term of comparison. If the way you respond to me is not so radical and full and complete in devotion that it makes like, look like you hate everything else in comparison, then you don't love me the way that you should love me. Clearly, Jesus wants us to love our family. But he says, I don't want you to love your family more than me. And the way you serve me ought to be so radically above and beyond the way you serve anybody else that it looks like you hate everything else compared to the way that you love me. Now the thing is, is when you love Christ in that radical way, you will honor your family. You will love your wife. You will lead your kids. It doesn't talk about neglecting your kids for the ministry's sake. It doesn't talk about being a guy who's always doing ministry and your wife is home alone praying that you would lead her. That's what that song was really written about. The guy who's part of this Christian community, this band that would go out, realized that in doing all his ministry, he wasn't leading his family well. Because he really wasn't following Christ. He was pursuing, in a Christian music world, his own dream. That little line in the song, you're chasing the dream, but you're not really tending to the things that matter. What Jesus is saying here is, you want to know what really matters? It's not bearing your daddy. What really matters is serving me. Peter, follow me. Leave the family business. Do you want to be a guy that makes live fish dead, or you want to make dead men alive? Leave it now. Now is the time. Guys, here's what I want to tell you. I don't care what society tells you is proper. I don't care what this world says is a, is a, a correct priority. If your priorities are not thoroughly influenced by and informed by Scripture, you're not the man of God that you think you are. And what Jesus is saying is something radical is here. That even the things that are the most proper become shadows in the light of the light of this responsibility. And what he's saying is, let me tell you, you better get after serving me. And if you think it's a big deal to bury a father, it's a bigger deal to serve your father in heaven. Now that's radical. And only God can say that. There's a third guy that pops up, and this is what he says. I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow, looks back. 
but you live for the kingdom of God. In other words, don't be like Lot's wife. When you leave Sodom and Gomorrah, that city associated with uh, carnality and rebellion against God, when you realize that God has called you out of darkness into light, don't miss what you have left. Don't look back at where you've been. You focus on where you're going. You set your mind on the things above. You want to go back and be a civilian? You want to go back and be a weak pasty male drinking Mai Tais by the pool, you go. But if you want to be a warrior, then get with it, soldier. That's what Jesus is saying. And most guys wash out. See, we all want to be that soldier. We all want to snap to and look good and maximize this temple that God has given us. We all want our minds to be sharp and our tongues to bring words of healing. We all want our hands to to be clenched against injustice and soft and tender towards those that are broken. But guys, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen unless you go to war with Christ and you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And it doesn't happen if you do it for 10 weeks. I'm not calling you just to, to 90 days and giving you a badge. I'm calling you to a life of devotion like this. I need men around me to remind me that my life being focused like this is not just worth it but necessary. And that's who we are. And when someone says, hey, man, tell me a church that is producing warriors for Jesus. I want to be able to say watermark is. I want to tell you something, man. You are being watched. You're being watched. The world wants to know if there are still Luke 9 men out there. And it's going to happen in small battalions as we meet as a larger corps to remind ourselves of things that are true. I want to just close with this one thing. A friend of mine, Tommy Nelson, uh, who lives up there in Denton, for a long time has taken some folks into uh, his little care instead uh, and has discipled them. I I was never one of those guys. A lot of my friends were, but uh, I, I was around Tommy a lot because many of my friends were up there and benefited from the friendship and relationship and learned a lot at his feet. But he just sent out an email to the 600 men that had spent nine months with him over a period of time uh, learning church history and Old Testament and theology and uh, you know just probably the best Bible education you could get. And he sent out this email, and this is what he said to these guys. He said, look, there's over 600 of you out there who went through the entrusting of hundreds of hours in Bible theology, church history, Bible study methods, hermeneutics, and ministry skills. And boys to whom much is entrusted, much is required. So email me back. I want to know what you're doing. And this is what he said. Where are you? What church are you in? Who are you teaching? What advances in evangelism are you initiating? What dreams have captivated your future? Who are your key men that you're entrusting yourself to? What is your wife doing? Tell me about your children. Do they love God? Are you a leader in your church yet? Are you a staff man? Tell me the load that the body of Christ has placed on your worthy shoulders. Share your joy with me. Have you been faithful? Are you still orthodox or have you been deceived? Are you living righteously or have you been disqualified? Are you still focused or have you been distracted? That is Luke 9. Are your energies expended in temporal bondage on this worthless orb? Are you loving amongst the brethren, or are you divided and thus ineffective? Perhaps you have gone silent against me because of fear, and you sense danger. The fear of conflict has silenced you. Or maybe you become discouraged. But he says, brothers, fret not. In due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Run the gauntlet, my boys. He said, one week I'm going to start with my 18th group of men. Write me back. Tell me I have not been worthless in my expenditure of time with you. And if you know anybody out there, contact them. I want to know what you are doing. If you're not doing anything, then write me and tell me that you're useless, that I might pray for your worthless hide to find God's mercy before you stand before him on the throne in your own cinders of judgment. (laughs) Luke 9. That is my Tommy. Write me, young guns. Bless me. All right, man, when we finish in 10 weeks and every day after, those are the questions I'm going to be asking you. Have you been deceived? Have you been distracted? Are you discouraged? Are you shrinking back because of the conflict? Soldiers and warriors don't do that. Weak men do. Pasty, white, passive males do.
God didn't call you to that. He called you to greatness. In your little platoons, be the best platoon in this corps. Raise up great men. You'll never regret it. Don't be overwhelmed with the task. Be well aware of who the teacher is. Father, thank you for these men. These men that you have called to be here, not just this morning, but we pray now for the next 10 weeks, and not just the next 10 weeks, but we, Father, pray the rest of their life that they would have the sacred trust of wearing a badge that's far more noble than being a SEAL or a recon marine or a ranger, but a warrior for Christ. I pray that all the honor and dignity do that would be um, fleshed out among us. I pray that this world would feel safe when the wolf stands at their door because we are ready. We are Christ's men. I pray, Father, that we would discipline ourselves now for the purpose of godliness. I pray that we would not be distracted. I pray we would not be weak men that look back and fancy that the ways of the world are worth going back to. That lust and weakness would not define us, but that we would not entangle ourselves in sin in order that we might please the one that has enlisted us as a soldier. We need others around us to spur us on in that direction. We need you, Jesus. We can't do this without you. I thank you that you've told us that, and you've told us that if we're willing, you'll always be with us if we'll yield to you and respond to you. I pray, Lord, that this would be... um, in Annapolis for Christ. This would be a West Point for Jesus. And out of this would come godly men and women would scream with joy and children would be comfortable and peaceful and safe because their daddy is a godly man. Lord, help us to be gracious towards each other but to demand everything from each other that you call us to. May we not be weak but may we follow you. Amen. Guys, if you're not signed up yet for the journey, there'll be men out there on computers to help you. If you're not yet signed up for the summit, okay, you need to get out there and do that. We will put you in a platoon. If your platoon leader is weak, would you tell us? If he is letting you slide and you do push-ups on your knees, would you tell us? If he asks you to quote your scripture and you stumble through it in broken sentences and mixed truth, will you tell us? All right. If you find guys showing up and not doing the work that will make you great, will you tell us? But will you lead by example so that the world will rise up and call you blessed? And so when you stand before him, you will not be consumed in your cinders. But he will say, well done, soldier. Well done. You guys have a great day of worship. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.